Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of the Front Office Podcast, Sean and I talk more NBA news, NCAA championship, and local news. And we are back after a little bit of a hiatus from the front office podcast. It's your host, Derek Dawson and Sean Gantworker teaming up on this April day. Sean, what's going on with you, buddy? I'm doing all right. I, I, I miss you, man. We, I we miss talked you. Before, right? We talked to you for the trade deadline for the end of March Madness. And uh, I'm well rested, let's say. I'm ready. I got some hot takes going. Definitely, definitely, man. I think that, um, you know, we've been kind of kicking back and, and taking a few days off. And, and now we're getting back to it. Um, the NBA is in full effect. Uh, the standings are kind of shaking their way. They're shaking their way up a little bit. I am very excited to see what the New York Knicks are doing. Um, Coach Tibbs, and he has those guys, Julius Randle, looking like an MVP. Um, right now, they're the sixth-ranked team in the Eastern Conference. They're trying to avoid that seventh play-in game. And, Sean, I tell you, I know the season's far from over and the rankings are going to change a lot. But right now, I think New York could beat Milwaukee if they were playing each other. I am kind of inclined to agree. I mean, I'd say for the most part, New York could beat just about anybody, probably other than Brooklyn, I think, mm. because I believe so strongly in Tom Thibodeau. And let me just say, this is not a prediction. Like, I would say right now, if there was a playoff series, I think likely, yeah, Milwaukee would beat them, Philly would probably beat them, but New York, uh, Brooklyn would beat them. But the thing about the Knicks and the thing about Tim Adele is he's going to make you work for it. Yes. And I think it's just going to be brutal to whatever poor team draws the New York Knicks in the first round because you're going to have to play 48 minutes of the grossest, grimiest, most physical basketball that you've played all year. I mean, just, just think about it. Let's say Philly holds on to that number one spot and then Brooklyn gets to the number two spot. Whoever would win that New York-Milwaukee series to go play Brooklyn, like Milwaukee, let's say Milwaukee pulled it out over the Knicks, they would be dog-tired against Brooklyn to even finish them out. So it's just because the Knicks will make you hustle. Julius Randle's 23 points a game, 10 rebounds. But what I'm most impressed with from Julius Randle is those 6.1 assists. Is He's just killing I mean, he's, he's great. I mean, uh, Thibodeau has a, kind of a history of basically running his offense through these high post men, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be Joakim Noah. It was Brad Miller, actually, for a little while in Chicago. Yeah. Carl Anthony Towns really started to facilitate um, going to Tibbs, and now Randall. And it's just seeing Randall acclimate so quickly, like from day one of this system he was producing, and just seeing him being able to not only maintain that but actually get better throughout the year. 
personally, I just feel happy for the guy because he went through a lot of stuff uh, coming out. What was he number two in the draft? Yeah, I think going so, to yeah. the Lakers. Yes, just no, he yeah he was like number seven. I think expectations. Oh right, it was um what's his name? Okafor was number two in yes. the draft. Yes. And uh, Randall, yeah, he, he was a little further, but just the expectations that go from being that Calipari star-making system to the Lakers, those bright lights, and I don't think he fully deserved a lot of the criticism he got, but ultimately I'm happy that he's taken it, and he found Thibodeau, who it's just working, you know, it's just blossoming, and it's beautiful to watch him just go to work. I'm loving what I'm seeing from R.J. Barrett, finally looking like that number three pick. Derrick Rose is continuing to be Derrick Rose. Emmanuel quickly has been a excellent surprise. He and Tyrese Maxey, I tell you, those two guys, I love both of them. Their games are kind of similar, and and they have some bright futures going on uh, uh, with that New York Knicks team. I, I don't know what Obi Toppin's um, fit is going to be. I hope that they still are patient with him, but Julius Randle just having an excellent season. It may not be any room for Obi Toppin. And I think the thing we have to remember if a guy like Obi Toppin, uh, I don't necessarily think he's the best fit for Thibodeau, but there's never been any question that Thibodeau has his guys, right? Mm-hmm. If you'll remember, Jimmy Butler barely played his rookie year. Right. Uh, Tony Snell barely played his rookie year. Obviously, they had two different uh, trajectories. Uh, Thibodeau will get a feel for you, and if you're not ready to immediately produce, he will bench you and not play you. But that doesn't mean the teaching stops there. Right. Uh, Obi Toppin's still practicing with the guys. He's still getting those lessons. And I think regardless of what happens, even if he's not playing, you know, like 20 minutes in round one of the playoffs, he's becoming a better basketball player. And hopefully he can internalize what he learns and, and refocus in the offseason. Because I think especially with Taj Gibson being on the time on the team now and with what Nerlens Noel is doing, I don't see much of a spot for Toppin for the rest of the year. Right. It's just up to him to prove that you don't need to resign those guys because I can be your guy next year. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, Kevin Durant seems to stay injury prone. Uh, again, against Miami the other other day, he uh, had another um, issue, um, like a thigh contusion or something like that. Is it the lack of playing or the 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 uh, sitting down and? He's just going through the bumps and bruises. I mean, it, it seems, he seems a little fragile, and I'm, I'm a little concerned about Kevin Durant. I, I'm loving, you know, the team, um, but with LaMarcus Aldridge coming and going, you know, I, I, I still think Brooklyn's my pick in the Eastern Conference, but what's up with Kevin Durant? And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't really worried. You know, uh, one, one interview can be a shame. A second interview is a little worrisome. But the third interview, uh, third interview, geez, third injury, excuse me, is a sign of very real concern, uh, particularly for a guy of his size that relies on athleticism. Like, I think regardless of what happens to his lower body, that shooting form is not going to go away, but he's not going to get the same lift. He's not going to be able to create the same separation. And the fact that it's happening so much one after another, it's concerning because these aren't just fluky injuries anymore. They're a continuation of one one injury of your body compensating for another. And uh, I don't want to see what we saw, you know, kind of a happen with like Derek Rose where, oh, it starts off with a twisted ankle and then he tweaks his knee and then it's an ACL. Okay, he rehabs, boom. And when you're seeing stuff like thigh contusions and just general weakness and soreness, 
I think it's very, very alarming. Uh, to the Nets' credit, I mean, they're awesome. Right. They've got enough to compensate, but this team's success is premised upon the fact that they're going to be able to outscore you with three top, you know, seven NBA players on the floor at any time. And uh, the minute one of those guys leaves, that advantage becomes all the more smaller. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely worried about Kevin Durant, and I, I hope that they're just being uh, abundantly cautious with him rather than, you know, running him out there. I, I hope so as well. Uh, Philly looks like they are still in that driver's seat, uh, but Brooklyn minus James Harden and Kevin Durant seem to just be staying exactly where they are. I'm a little nervous in, in, in a positive way um, about James Harden and Kevin Durant coming back 100% that they may be the team to beat because I don't see a team in the Eastern Conference that will be able to match up with a Kyrie or James Harden and a Kevin Durant. And don't sleep on Blake Griffin. I think he's still got a lot in the tank, and he's going to prove a lot to people. But Philly, Doc Rivers, has those guys ready. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's a, we said this at the beginning of the year. That's a really well-put-together team. And I think they managed this year pretty well. The rotations are pretty good. They're pretty deep. A lot of these guys are getting rest. I love that the minute I love that the MB news was positive, and they were able to just wait that out and weather the storm. I think Ben Simmons will continue to be underrated because we will never understand that a guy doesn't need to be able to do everything to do to be great, right? Right. right. I, I call this the DeMar DeRozan syndrome, mm. where it took us like 10 years to realize that he doesn't shoot threes. Right. And that, that isn't a problem when he can do everything else. And that's the thing with Ben Simmons. Like, he's a six foot eleven point guard who can facilitate, post up, and play elite defense. It doesn't particularly matter if you don't trust him to spot, spot up from three because that's what you got guys like uh, Seth Curry for. Right. Um, so Philadelphia is a professional organization, well-coached, well-managed. They're deep now. I think the George Hill move was great, particularly when it looked like uh, Miami uh, – not Miami, excuse me, Toronto was trying to fleece them for Lowry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team makes sense, and uh, I think they're more than capable of – taking a punch from any team in the East and, and rebounding if they're healthy. I just want to see a Knicks-Brooklyn Nets second-round matchup just because I want to see New York go crazy. Um, so Adam Silver, right? Yeah. Oh, you Adam Silver's waiting too. for that, definitely. Um, Boston continues to stay in that sliding formation. Uh, Atlanta is tricky. They go up, they go down, they go up, they go down. But they look like they might stranglehold that uh, fourth seed. The play-in games right now currently – Miami, Charlotte, Indiana, Chicago, and Washington. Well, Miami's got that seven if they don't move up. But the Indiana, Chicago, Washington, and Toronto are only uh, separated by two and a half games. Who makes it in and who's left out? I mean, boy, it's it's really a mess down there. It is. <laughs> and it's not really pretty basketball. Uh, for one, Miami, I'm inclined to say they're probably going to make it, like you said, above the playoff spot. But, boy, is that team impossible to figure out. Definitely. I will never underestimate Jimmy Butler's ability to just be like, all right, it's we're in the playoffs. It's, it's done. I'm turning it on. But the fact that Harrow has regressed to such an extent and uh, Oladipo, we don't even know if he can be on the basketball court for more than five, seven minutes a night. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's tragic because um, – I mean, I, I like Victor Oladipo, and he's been nothing, well, apart from some of the antics, but pretty professional about this whole thing. Uh, and then you look deeper. The Pacers, I mean, I I don't really understand what they're going for. Right. I think they made out well, probably, with this Karis LeVert thing, who uh, I'm happy to see he's healthy and performing, but largely the team seems pretty directionless. 
Uh, now that Miles Turner is gone, that's just another another weakness that's going to open up. And mm-hmm. uh, I really don't see this ending well for them. And I really don't see that bright a future for them unless they can start reshuffling, you know, the the chairs. I mean, the fact is Malcolm Brogdon, as good as he is, is going to be 29. Um, it's just your window is crazy. And I see that team regressing, if not on purpose, to get a better draft pick. Uh Charlotte is still going to fight out. I imagine they'll be a contender till they want. Washington, while I love the fight that they're showing, I mean, I had the opportunity to see them up close. And once you get into that bench, that team is just not talented. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, Chandler Hutchinson is playing 15 minutes a night for them. He can't really play NBA basketball. Uh, Gafford's particularly good. But I, uh, Gafford, I think, is going to be okay. But he needs time to develop cohesion mm-hmm. with Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think they have that time. And then we're going to talk about my Chicago Bulls, where – it's been incredibly uneven and shaky, but I think a lot of that was circumstances they couldn't necessarily control. I mean, when you go into a trade deadline uh, and you trade basically 60% of your rotation, you add in an all-star that forces you to change your entire system around him, and then Zach Levine comes up with a bum ankle, and now he's in the COVID protocol. I don't blame them for regressing and losing a whole bunch. I would like to see more consistency, but I do think that will come. So um, call me a homer, but I do think Chicago will probably eventually find its way there simply because those other teams that can challenge them, like Toronto, right. I think are probably more invested in a draft pick now than what is ostensibly a meaningless uh, playoff appearance. You know, and I feel the same way. I think Indiana's going to fall out. I love that LaMelo Ball is coming back, so Charlotte's going to shock a few people. I think they're going to um, get in that playoff. They're going to win the little play-in games. I think Indiana falls out. Chicago gets in. And then I think either Washington or Toronto, they need to decide something. Um, they need to decide, do I want to go into the playoffs and get beat in the first round, probably by a sweep by Philly or Brooklyn? Or do I want to go try to possibly get a lottery pick and maybe even win the lottery and, and, and get a game-changing uh, player because a team like Washington, they're, they're they're good from the one through the four, but they need a big. They need a rebounder. Yes. Thomas Bryant's injury hurt them, but they need a true Evan Mobley type guy or one of those types of guy. I love what Bradley Bill and Russell, Russell Westbrook are doing. I love what uh, Advia and and Rui are doing, but yes. they don't they don't have any rebounding, and that's why they're staying at the cellar of, of of the Eastern Conference. But they're still trying to make the move. Bradley Bill is is no thanks to Steph Curry is now the second leading scorer in the NBA. Um, but that that big man is going to be missed when you're playing against an Embiid or you're playing against. Blake and DeAndre Jordan or Giannis and Brooke Lopez, you know, and, and that's going to really hurt them. So it, it almost you don't want to tank if you're getting close, but you don't want to get close and then lose. And then you're just right back at the number 14 pick. And it's not really a game changing type of player. Exactly. The worst case scenario is you make this push. Right. You get out, you're a game out, and then the lottery balls slide your favor back. So you're less uh, less invested in getting an Evan Mobley and getting like a Kofi uh, Cogburn. Right. right. Uh, and that's no slight against Cogburn. He's just not the player Mobley is, right? Exactly. Um, but I mean, we do also need to factor in the fact that these, this new lottery system is different to such an extent that you can be in that mess miss out on the playoffs and still have about a 15 to 25% chance, depending on your record to get that number one pick. And you can't be Uh, mad at that. Which, yeah, which is nothing to scoff at. And that's why I understand some of these teams who are kind of staying the course at this point, but I don't deny the developmental possibilities of you play these young guys. uh, You, you up Denny's minutes a a little bit. 
and you just you just see what happens. Uh, less of a concern for getting guys like Robin Lopez run as much as I love Robin Lopez, and just see what happens when uh, when you let guys try and fail on the biggest stage possible and let the chips fall fall where they may. Definitely, definitely. Let's move over to that Western Conference, man. Your Phoenix Suns, they are just staying exactly where they're supposed to stay. It looks like they're going to lock that two seed up. I love what I'm seeing from them. Um, Utah, I I don't know what um, Mitchell's injury is going to do for them, but they seem to still have a stranglehold on that. Um, and the Clippers, you know, I'm loving that. Uh, but the top three before we get to Denver and the Lakers and Portland, all those, do you think any movement in that happens between Utah, Phoenix, and the Clippers? I mean, yeah, I think it all changed for me when Jamal Murray went out. Right. Uh, unfortunately, because <laughs> that was my team. Right. That I think probably could have made that surge because everything was clicking. Uh, everything. They were deep, and uh, I, I really saw that team actually potentially making the finals. Definitely. Def- uh, with the addition of Aaron Gordon as well. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean – it just it just you look at it on paper on a video game i don't care and just every single piece of that team seemed destined to uh step up when it counted obviously that changed uh like you said i I don't see it shuffling that much just because i see the suns having a level of consistency where uh yeah you'll see nights like what happened against the spurs a couple nights where they will lay an egg but that will coincide with winning you know eight out of their last ten right uh, this team streaks, it's deep, uh, knock on wood, but it can afford an injury too and probably not lose much. And they're also finding a nice balance between developing some of the young guys like Cam Johnson, mm-hmm. like even the campaign has been around for a while, but mm-hmm. they're still pretty useful, uh, while letting guys like um, Chris Paul dictate what goes on. I, I see that team not really taking a step back for the rest of the year just because they, they don't have to. You know, uh, you, their schedule is brutal, admittedly, but uh, I mean, look what they did with Milwaukee. Right. It was pretty impressive, nonetheless. You you brought up Jamar Murray's injury, and it made me reminisce. So they were down seven with, I think, a minute and some change left. And you know, that reminded me of Derrick Rose's injury. Oh, yeah. It, it reminded me of it when Derrick Rose, uh, you know, tore his leg up. It was like, why are you even in the game? You know, it, you're not going to win the game. You know, they, Denver may have had a chance to win that game, but I mean, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But at the same time, it's kind of like, hey, when you're down seven with like a minute to go, it, don't even worry about it. You know, let's let's live to fight another day. Especially in a year like this, right. where uh, we're seeing injuries pile up, we know fatigue is a factor because all the games are one after another. And it's not like there is a lack of options for the Nuggets. Uh, they have multiple ball handlers. Hell, hell, you could just play Jokic really as the point guard if you wanted to. Uh, right. And seeing that happen to Murray, it's. I mean, there, there's nothing you can say that won't make you want to cry. Exactly. You look at what happened uh, with the Lakers and then the Jazz almost immediately after, and it's like this. This is your year. Right. Um, so I do think there will be a reflection on on Malone. Um, he's not necessarily a Thibodeau like you know workhorse guy, but there is that kind of passion that he wants to put a team away, uh, and he does have weird idiosyncrasies with his lineups and rotations. And uh, it's unfortunate to see Murray go down in pretty much a non-competitive circumstance because Jamal Murray is one of the most competitive people on the earth. 
Definitely, definitely. What's up with the Warriors? Uh, Steph Curry is on a tear. I think 11 now, 12 games in a row, uh, 30 points um, or more. Uh, hit for 49 last night against Philly, and now he's leading the league in scoring. And Steph Curry looks like he is just hanging on. He is doing great things. You know, the thing about the Warriors, same thing with, with the Washingtons of the world. Do you kind of fall back and and um, let this season play out? Hopefully Minnesota doesn't convey their pick and then you have two picks maybe in the top 10 and and kind of wait for clay to come back i mean i don't i don't know what to do there i mean it's a tough situation because even if they did well all you need to do to try to tank right would be just play curry less right um cut his minutes down by 10 and then it's over because steph curry is doing truly incredible things and he is absolutely the reason why this team wins right if he's not there, this is the bottom five, maybe bottom two team in the league. And the fact that he is a Superman and night in, night, night out, puts his cape on and gets them to a 500 record is, is simply insane. Insane. And it's incredible. Uh, but you look at this team, and uh, I mean, they've won six of their last four, but their point differential is still negative. They desperately need to, need to outscore you because they can't stop you, really. right. right. Wiseman's injury doesn't help. Wiseman's injury doesn't help. I mean, and the fact is, it's just, this team is just a bunch of guys at this point. Right. It's, 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 I mean, what development do you get from Ubri and, and Wiggins, who, who has played better and played well this season? But uh, next year, are you, would you much rather run him out, the run Steph Curry out with Jalen Suggs or with Juan Toscano Anderson, who's played, you know, more minutes than we wanted him to? I think right. the answer is clear, right? Right. I agree. And, uh, I mean, I don't begrudge a guy for being competitive like, like Steph Curry and, uh, there is a pretty good chance that if they went on a run, they could at least get that seventh seed, move past Memphis and Dallas. But I don't necessarily think that's in their best interest to be competitive because this is a team structured to win as soon as Clay comes back and not a minute before. And not a minute before. You know, so here's a question that I have for you, and I've been thinking about this. So I watched the Detroit uh, Cleveland game yesterday, and I saw. Why did you do that to yourself? You know what? <laughs> but you know what though? Think about. Look at Cleveland. First of all, they they have their center in Jared Allen. They have their one, two, and three in Garland, Sexton, and the Coral. Let's say they get a top three pick, and they get a Kaminga. Or look at Detroit. They Killian Hayes looks like he's a player. He started off injured, but I like him. Sadiq yeah. Bay is definitely a player. Uh, Isaiah Stewart is definitely a player. They have some nice young pieces just like Cleveland. And then look at Orlando. They got two picks in the top ten this next year. Those three teams are a pick of way of really making noise in a year or two. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's some some truth to that. Uh, like you said, uh, Cleveland appears to have a direction now. Right. Which, which is good. They have some pieces there. They're, I think they're another pretty good draft and, frankly, a good offseason away. And they need to find a way to move past that uh, Kevin Love contract. They definitely need to do that. Just, just somehow, and I'm not sure they can. And if they can't, that's just going to continue to cripple them. But, I mean, we're seeing what Garland's doing right now. Um, just sensational basketball this last week. And I, I don't think the fit between him and Sexton is, is still perfect, but I think it's workable if Okoro continues to be able to defend the best guy in the court. Right. Allen is more than serviceable. And if they can get like a pretty good foreman who can space the floor while still not being a defensive sieve, then, then I absolutely see it. 
I have a like, dream. I, I keep having this weird nightmare or dream, whatever you want to call it, that Sacramento should take Kevin Love and send Marvin Bagley to Cleveland. And I think that that would help both of those guys for some strange reason. I don't know why, but I keep seeing Marvin Bagley in Cleveland and Kevin Love going to Sacramento. I mean, I could see that. For one, it would get Kevin Love closer to home. Yep. Which would be a good thing. And yep. uh, it would, I think. And save Cleveland a ton of money. <laughs> It would save money, and even though we don't expect the world out of Cleveland anymore, I think it lowers expectations to go from a team that you won your championship on to a team in Sacramento that's uh, still slogging away. So, depending on the price, I could see it. And you and may have a Bagley, you yeah, may have a Chris, you may have a Chris Webber reincarnation when he went from Washington to Sacramento, and he revitalized his career in Sacramento. And I, I think it would be ideal. And frankly, what I would love to see out of Kevin Love is him go back to doing what was his bread and butter in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, just being under the basket, grounding and pounding, rebounding. Because while I think uh, ultimately it worked out well for Cleveland uh, with the championship, I think they pretty much made Kevin Love into a worse player. Right. And, and if you, uh, yep. it sucks. Oh, yeah. And if you look at that, the bottom three of that Western Conference, we said Orlando, Cleveland, Detroit on the East, Minnesota, Houston, and OKC. OKC is now on, I think, an 11-game losing streak. They have two in the top ten, I think, as well. I think they pretty much said, hey, you know what? Let's shut it down, and we'll see you guys next year because we have a 1,000 picks in the next five, six years. So don't worry about us. We're going to be okay. I mean, it's it's pretty good to be able to lose consistently while giving you your core, which is comprised of 19, 20, 21, and 22-year-olds minutes. Right. It's um, – it's, it's there. I mean, they're sitting pretty. The fact that you can lose like this and still watch Alexei Pokashevsky and be like, we might got a player here. Yeah, they do. And you watch. Yeah, exactly. Now they do. Like, I wrote them off pretty. pretty yes, you on, did. But, You're cold, though, Sean. You you don't give people any any help, any any well, limp. I mean, yeah. When you go to the G League and initially struggle after that, I, I get a little worried. But right. to his credit, he's worked on the stuff that I, I thought was a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, namely, he's doing more than just shooting now. Uh, he's facilitating a bit more. He's more than just a body. So uh, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm ready to congratulate him on on becoming more of a player. And then we look at the things Dort does oh. and Maladone just day in oh. day out, just being a professional. Oh. <laughs> Maladone and Dort and with SGA. You know what's crazy? I almost would let SGA. I would trade SGA because I I don't want to pay him thirty million. I, I he's good. But I don't want to pay him there. I, I need to keep. I have too many picks to to send someone. I know you got to spend the money to get to the threshold of the of the salary cap. But I know that you can get a you can get something for for SGA. And with all these picks coming in, it's you know what? I'll take that back. I'm sorry, you guys, and I'm not even going to edit that. I would keep SGA. I don't want to pay him thirty million dollars though, but I look at that young team with Moses Brown and Poku and Baisley and Dort and SGA, and then the guys that are going to be coming in with the draft picks coming forward. Your OKC and Sam Presti, they're going to be just okay. They're going to be just fine moving forward. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I see some of the the logic actually in the initial SGA thing to a point, but. We do need to realize that eventually this team just needs to focus less on getting more and more draft picks right. and just building an actual core. Yeah, you're definitely um, right. So I, I wouldn't pull that, that trigger right now. But, I mean, I mean you, you go on, like, Tankathon right now, mm-hmm. and this is a team that has the fifth overall pick as it stands, 
uh, if, if the lottery works out, and the 16th overall pick. And you're looking at guys from, you know, Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Johnson, Scotty Barnes, even further down, Davy and Mitchell, yep. Yusman Garuba from Real Madrid. Yep. Like, the possibilities are endless. And that's right. incredibly tantalizing, especially because if the lottery balls don't work in your favor, you can trade those two picks for the number one and the number two and just say, boom, we got Gabe Cunningham. And, there, and, that's, and that's my thought process. Let's say OKC gets, like, number three and 12. I think Minnesota or someone takes three and twelve for Kay Cunningham. I think Houston takes three and twelve for Kay Cunningham. You know, so it, I think Sam Presti needs to start really like like packaging things up and just getting one player in each draft. You know, and like you said, a Scotty Barnes on OKC who who may need a year or two, a Jalen Johnson on OKC. You know, Cade Cunningham on OKC. You, you're going to be just fine with with those guys. Exactly, and and don't be too precious with the picks. The worst right. thing you can do is be a Danny Ainge about this, and always assume there's a better deal around the corner. Because I want Corey Kispert. I want Corey Kispert in OKC. I think he oh, would have a phenomenal career there. From the womb, it seems like he should be an OKC player. He, definitely, you know, definitely, he'll, definitely. He'll find his way into that system and with that player development staff, but. I, I just I, I don't want them to think that they need to build a team with four draft picks every year. Right, exactly. Because eventually you'll run out of roster spots. So absolutely, if the opportunity is there to just go all in, go all in and get your superstar and figure out fit and need later. Even if you don't think Cunningham or Suggs can play next to, next to SGA, I don't care. Play right. them next to each other and see what happens. And see what happens. You know, I, I tell you this, OKC better win the G League championship for the next three or four seasons with all those picks coming up. <laughs> Oh, oh my God! There, there is no excuse. <laughs> no excuse. No excuse. Uh, let's let's change topic. Chet Holmgren, the the top high school player, um, decided that he's going to Gonzaga uh, next year. Um, he was a high school teammate of Jalen Suggs out of out of Minneapolis, and uh, Mark Few looks like he's got a line to uh, Minnesota and just top players. You know, um, Chet Holmgren and Jalen Suggs played high school ball together. Jalen Suggs, of course, um, finished his rookie uh, rookie his freshman season at Gonzaga, and now his high school teammate seven one with range. And a mismatch all across the board, looking like a young Dirk, um, is going to Gonzaga. And Gonzaga and Mark Few, they just keep on doing it. Oh, yeah. I tweeted this yesterday, but the fact that Mark Few is now routinely getting one-and-done guys, in addition to all of his other recruiting wonders, should put the fear of the Lord into Blue Blood programs. Definitely. Um, it's, it's simply unfair in that Mark Few has done incredibly great things for two decades with not bottom five recruiting classes, but recruiting classes that took actual work in realville scouting, like going overseas, getting European guys, getting transfers. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he can still do that with much of plum while getting stuff from the portal and then getting guys like Suggs and Al Holmgren, it's, it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, I felt very down for Gonzaga after they lost right. because uh, I felt like this was their few's be- best chance of ever winning a championship because Gonzaga was unbelievable. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that they played pretty well against that Baylor team. Baylor team was just better. Yeah, and that UCLA game, I think, took all of Gonzaga's steam out. Excuse me one sec. Yeah, um, I, I think that too. And I think when it comes down to it, um, Baylor was just 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 ready to go. They had four four guys in the backcourt should make the NBA. They were hot from three. They were defensively great. And uh, 
they gave Gonzaga the type of battle that Gonzaga wasn't prepared for. So mm-hmm. what does Gonzaga do? Oh, they lose guys, but they get Chet Holmgren <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, Hunter Salas and guys, and they just reload. And uh, for anybody who wants to see Chet Holmgren, I highly suggest you go on YouTube and look up what he did against Imani Bates. Right. Um, because Imani Bates is going to be unbelievable as definitely, well. Definitely. Um, uh, and Chet was always good in my mind, but before, until then... Uh, but right then, he just thoroughly outplayed Imani Bates. And uh, seeing a seven foot one guy who looks like he's 100 pounds soaking wet uh, effectively do Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Durant things is is truly incredible. Um, he is he, he's I mean, he's sensational. He's a guy who will be the number one pick of the draft unless knock on wood, something bad happens. And uh, I truly hope it doesn't because he's prepared to just be one of those dudes who comes in, dominates college and becomes the next, you know, the next guy we're all talking about. And I think that's why he chose Gonzaga over going to the G League Ignite, because yeah. I know the money's coming. And I need a, I need to put some weight on and I need to put a little bit of muscle on and going to the Ignite. I'm just getting thrust in to play and, and but playing for Gonzaga doesn't mean he's going to put on 30 pounds of muscle at Gonzaga. But there's some structure there. And I think Jalen Suggs um, um, time there kind of pushed him in that direction. And not only that, but you can't say enough about Mark Few. As right. a coach, as a human being. But he's got to win, though. He he's got to win, Sean. It's time so, for Mark Few to win. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, Mark Few now has all of his eggs in the in the elite player basket. Right. Now he needs to start, you know, uh, routinely making Final Fours rather than making them more often than not. Like, that's, that's something to be said because he's truly an incredible coach. But I believe it was in Chet's best interest. Part of me thought about him maybe going to a team like Minnesota, staying home. But what happened with Pitino not being able to figure things out, getting fired and things shuffling around? I I truly think Gonzaga was the best possible place he could go. Yeah. Let's uh, let's shake it up a little bit. Vanessa Bryant has ended the Nike relationship with Kobe Bryant. Um, Who may... I don't want to use the word mistake, but I'm going to use the word mistake. Who made the mistake here, Vanessa or Nike, by letting this dissipate? Or it was it a mistake? I, I'm not truly sure. I mean, I, I think it's unfortunate because I think Kobe Bryant and Nike was such an incredibly strong association, and that legacy will always be there. But we can't say enough unfortunately about how much the circumstances changed when, when Kobe and uh, and his daughter and all those unfortunate people died. Uh, it's just from a business perspective. And this is all business. <laughs> sounds dirty coming out of my mouth because uh, don't get me started on what corporations and big business are doing to this country. Right. You are now invested in a man who can only market as a legacy. You can't send Kobe Bryant to China to sell shoes. You can't send him to, to African countries to pitch shoes. You can't send him to a mall in Burbank, California to pitch the product. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's terrible. I mean, it it feels so dirty talking about that, but from a business perspective, I'm not sure they wanted to invest fully in a guy that they would have to almost martyr. Right. Uh, And I think they would have been more than happy to martyr him. Unfortunately, but hopefully maybe they grew a heart or hopefully what Vanessa and the rest of the family told them in terms of terms and conditions is 
you need to treat Kobe like the human being and the father he was and not just as this mythic basketball figure. Well, well, I'm thinking about it just from a business perspective. So you keep running Kobe's old shoes, the whatever. I'm, I'm not a shoe game person. The ones, the twos, the fours, the sixes, they're going to sell out every yes. time. And Nike is going to make buku money off of anything they put out with black mamba and, and and all those other things coming off and and maybe vanessa decided hey I, we we don't need the money first of all um we don't need like let us just we, it's time for us to just go ahead and, and mourn and and like leave us alone i think she's on that and there's nothing wrong with that but this is business as well and i feel that there was, there was, I don't want to say an opportunity over a deceased soul because that sounds horrible. And, and it's and, callous, but it's true. Right. right. I mean, there's like Princess Diana perfume. How right. The album is just two pops, two, uh, two pop, two pop, two, two pop, <laughs> two have, right? That was like the whitest mispronunciation yeah. I've ever had. Two pop, um, y'all. Oh my God. That's okay. You get a pass, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. You can leave that in the podcast. I'll I'm going to. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, I understand. We, we sell we sell off these people all the time. Like I've seen John Lennon in commercials, and Hinkley killed him 20 years ago. Right. right. And the Marilyn Monroe. What What do you wear when you sleep? I wear Chanel number five. You know. Exactly. So you, sometimes you gotta just just keep going. It sounds capitalistic, but that's just the world that we live in. And here's the thing, right? I mean, I don't claim to be experts on on this fully, but. If I'm one of Kobe Bryant's kids and I turn on the TV and my father has has been in the ground for barely over two years and I see him, that hits me, you know? Right, right. And luckily I haven't been through that kind of loss in my life and I don't need to put put that two and two together. But I do like to see what with how much strong Vanessa's been. I do think something runs through her mind where it's like, we don't need this right. in our faces. We don't need to be going to the the mall and seeing Kobe, Kobe, you know, Kobe, a, a Kobe poster with a brand new shoe. Right. And the fact is, this this whole thing is fungible, and they can always go back and strike a deal, and we'll always be releasing Kobe's somehow. It's just for now. I think it's it really is better that both people just let the poor man rest in peace, let the families mourn, and. If you want to strike a business deal later on, God bless. But for now, just not everything needs to be a negotiation. That's true, because I tell you this, Nike waits a few years and they put out a they partner with Vanessa and the Bryan Foundation or whatever foundation it is. And then they put out a black mama shoe. It's going to probably be the highest selling shoe non Jordan ever. Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, remember, you know what? Remember the Disney vault? Well, it's like, oh, guys, come watch Cinderella because you're not going to be able to watch it until it's gone from the vault. And then mm. three years later, here we go. It's back from the vault. Like, it, it's, it's back. All, it's all gross marketing at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, Sterling Brown. Oh, boy. Um, so I think he's on his ninth life. Yes. And I think it's time for him to stay home. Um, he, Sterling Brown, the, uh, former Milwaukee Buck, um, who, um, had some, some police brutality from being parked in a wrong, um, spot late night at a, at a grocery store or Walgreens, CVS, one of those got tased, um, won his settlement with, with the Milwaukee, Milwaukee police, then moved on to the Miami heat. He's hurt. Um, 
They're playing in Miami. He goes out to the club and he gets a, jumped pretty much by guys. Bottles hit it over the head and all this other type of stuff. I'm, I come from if you've survived a few things, you kind of need to lay low going forward. And I don't know what Sterling Brown is. Maybe he's like, I, hey, that one has nothing to do with the other. But Sterling Brown, he kind of just needs to sit down for a little bit, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree. I mean, far be it for me to tell him tell this guy how to live his life. Right. But, uh, clearly, whether it be luck or circumstances or choices he made, him and the nightlife are not you know <laughs> not not simpatico <laughs> at all. Uh, going past the the Milwaukee situation, which I think has been aired out and uh, is just. Uh, we, we don't necessarily need to touch on it. Um, Miami, I mean, dude, like, it's a pandemic. Sit it's down. A city. You can go to a hotel room and get bottle service. You can pull the Paul Pierce if you want. Just don't <laughs> put it on camera. If the world can cater to you because you're a good-looking, very talented, athletic young man who happens to be a celebrity. You don't need to find uh, find a good time. A good time will find you. Period. Uh, and I think it would be in his best interest for someone in the organization to sit down and be like, either you cool off or we will assign somebody to basically be your handler. Right. Uh, and I think it's in his best interest. I don't think he needs to be babysit necessarily because I don't know what he said to these guys. I don't think he, I don't know if he deserved it. I don't know if he didn't deserve it. I don't think anybody really deserves getting the crap being out of them outside a club. Right. Um, but when it comes down to it, if you need if you need protection, you just need protection. Pretty Even much. It's protection from yourself, right? Right. That, that's all I'm saying. It's kind of like, hey, it's COVID. It's a pandemic. You, you play for the heat. So you, you're in the city. And, and it's kind of like, hey, you should be rehabbing, shouldn't you? And, and like, I, like you said, um, we don't want to tell people how to live their lives. But sometimes you got to just, just, just enjoy your life, you know? And, and, and if you're out there just... I don't know if he was talking crazy to someone or someone was talking crazy to him. The fact remains, you shouldn't put yourself in those type of situations to you. You're worth something. So and everyone's worth something. And and monetarily doesn't mean that you, your life is value, more valuable. But at the same time, sit down. Exactly. Just just wait it out. Like there's plenty of fun to be had in the off season. <laughs> there is. That's you know, Paul I mean, Pierce. He's been off season for a few years, and he's just getting—he's having a great off season. I mean, and also you're in Miami, rent a banana boat, and go like hang out on the seas, listen to Jimmy Buffett. Like, definitely you are living the dream. Young the man. dream. You won seven hundred a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars settlement from the city of Milwaukee, and that's—you know—I know you're making money like that in the league, but that's just hey, that's just the cherry on top, man. Kick back and have fun. This man went from Southern Methodist University to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to South Beach. Right. <laughs> I mean, how many people would, would, would kill for that trajectory? I'd tell you everyone in Milwaukee would. <laughs> I, I think, frankly, I mean, you look at how, how much fun Florida's been having the, these last couple of months. I think most people in the world would. I, I think everyone is having fun in Florida. Um, so the NBA put out a, a memo about the... Derek Chauvin case 
and he spells his yes. name differently from mine, you guys. So let's make sure we have that clarity. Um, <laughs> that, that they're in deliberating um, with the killing of George Floyd, and the NBA is pretty much saying we're 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 okay with canceling games should something happen in a direction that people don't agree with. Pretty much, if he's found innocent, um, we're going to shut it down. Um, is Adam Silver being preemptive here to the point of is he preparing everyone for the worst case possibility? I, I don't know how to feel about this part of it. I um, I understood why he did it. I don't necessarily agree with it. Uh, not from the, the way people might think, but I am just troubled now by the fact that we need to have these statements uh, where we can't just let the justice system play out and hope that regardless of verdict, right or wrong, that it will work out fairly. And I think it's, it's, it's telling. I mean, we've seen this from Rodney far before, before Rodney King and stuff that we believe that there will be riots. Let me restructure this. Go ahead. <laughs> I hear your brain thinking. <laughs> I don't like the implication that if something doesn't go your way, you need to be prepared for your home to be burned down. Hmm. I don't I watch what happens in Minneapolis and I understand the anger and the grievance. Uh, but I don't believe that anger is such that destroying your community is just particularly what's being destroyed when I see a Dollar Tree being destroyed, a Papa John's, a Foot Locker. These are not the stores of the elite. They are not the stores of the cops, of the judges. These are stores of the lower middle class, the the poor whites, the minorities, the poor blacks. The notion that the minute the legal system runs its course, whether fairly or unfairly, we need to all be prepared to hide in our homes for a few weeks while the cities that we live in and put money into to te- and have our children try to learn in will be ripped apart. That, that is not appropriate messaging, I think. And um, I think, unfortunately, it might be necessary messaging at this point. Mm. And it's a, a much greater condemnation of, I think, the circumstances of the world we live in. Mm-hmm. I understand why Silver said it, because I think if he said nothing, he would get torn apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, like, who are we fooling here that we need to shelter in place in 50 states across the world because of a trial in Minnesota? Like, right. Well, it's, it's deeply un- it's unsettling, I think. Well, I've never been one about um, protest or burning down buildings in, in, in my community. I've never been a fan of that. I've never understood it. I've never understood um, that type of protest. I've always been the peaceful protest thing. I've always been the guy that, hey, you can shout until you want to. You can, you know, have any message you want. You can throw some NWA music in there if you want or some Tupac, you know. (laughs) But at the same time, I think that (laughs) I think that the things that have happened in the last week, the last month, the last year, the last 400 years, whatever. I think that Adam Silver is is taking care of his employees pretty much by saying, hey, you guys, this may not again, may not turn in a direction that is is in our favor 
And let's just make sure that we're prepared for it. Let's just make sure that we're in front of it than behind it. You know, I, I do believe that the justice system will prevail this time. I really believe it because just because of everything that has happened, video and all that, you know, it's different from the Rodney King video because it's grainy and all that. This was just right in your face on every network, on every T-shirt, on every kneel down, on every national anthem. So I think that and then following up in the same state, another young man was was killed. And I I just think that this time it's going to be a little bit different, but that, that could just be my hope. But I also think that Everyone just needs to do better. Everyone. Exactly. But here's my thing, right? Let's say Derek Chauvin gets off with a manslaughter charge, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say he goes to prison. Will the fact that he was not charged with murder, will that, the fact that he's still going to prison be justice? Like, well, I, I just wonder about the implications of this, particularly because I did watch the trial. And what scares me is I don't believe the prosecution has done a good job. Right. At, at all. I don't either. I think the, I, um, I think I, the I jurors think are going to change this, though. I don't think the prosecution done a good job either. I believe if I believe, frankly, he would probably be acquitted under circumstances simply because almost immediately the prosecutors dropped the racial component of the charge. Mm hmm. It was no longer about about a hate crime, and um, they simply did not did not. I mean, the the video was fairly clear, right. but they even allowed that video to be called into question too, with different angles. And uh, the the simple fact of the matter is, is this: um, no one should ever be killed by police. Mm-hmm. What Derek Chauvin did was actionable. He should be charged with something. He should, frankly, be put into prison with something. But as we have seen with what happened to that poor young man in Brooklyn Center, mm-hmm. what we saw with this cop mm-hmm. was not a case of uh, of necessarily implicit racial bias. Mm-hmm. It was about being a cop being bad at their job, extremely bad at their job. You are trained to recognize left from right, Derek, yes. right? You should know where your by gun your and your mother, taser are. right? By your mother or by your father. Right. If I have a taser on my left and a gun on my right, and I recognize that both of these elements can be used to probably kill somebody, you can be damn sure I know which way my hands are going to go. Definitely. The fact that she went for one and pulled out the wrong one, to me, doesn't scream a woman who didn't like African-American people. To me, it screams a woman who should not have been, should not have been a police officer. Mm-hmm. And if we look at this from a greater picture, this whole thing is not that we have too many cops or racist cops, which I don't deny they exist. We have too many bad cops. Right. We need to get these dudes off the street. Right. We need to retrain them. Right. And we need to and we need to facilitate a way where good cops can be rewarded and bad cops can be punished. And whether that means breaking apart police unions or what, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I do not believe the answer is to just ascribe motive to every single action absent of circumstance. Um, going back to this Chauvin thing. That was a, a bad cop who I believe reacted to a circumstance that he believed was going to escalate further, did a dumb thing. And yet, right now, his life doesn't rest in the hands of the justicism. It rests in the hands of the court of public opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's troubling. It's troubling when you see uh, conservatives blindly saying back the blue, because if we've learned anything over our lifetimes, it's that more often than not, police will do as they're told, whether that's for good or bad. And often it's for bad. Right. 
the same thing happens when we have politicians right now saying, well, I think we know what the verdict is. And if it's bad, I mean, you guys know what to do. The whole <laughs> thing is gross and dirty. Right. Because these are people's lives that we're playing, not just the Floyd family, not the Chauvin family. Every man, woman and child in Minnesota has a target on their back. Yeah. And it's yeah. unfair to think that Monday, that next Monday, you and I can probably go out. We could get a beer and we could look outside and our church won't be on fire. Mm-hmm. And it won't be being burned down by people from different uh, constituencies, different political backgrounds who really just want to have a role playing session uh, out in the grounds where they can punch each other and then go back to their out of state homes. Right. Definitely. You know, we're, we're, we're playing games. We're literally playing with fire with these poor people's lives, literal poor people's lives. Right. Definitely. Center is not an affluent community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're burning down their homes. We're barricading their streets. Why? Because if a judge or a jury comes back with a way that we don't like, whether that we think it's good or positive, whether it's just or not, we just want to break something. You know, and frustration and will lead you to that. Frustration and, and being felt. Oh, my God. Yeah. It, exactly, right? And it's just a powder gag. And no one is doing the right thing here, which is just to say, relax we're working on this whether you don't believe we're working on this here is clear actionable things right here's the money we're putting into communities right. here's where the money from black matters is going no everything is being obfuscated by a media that frankly just wants to piss you off right and no matter and, what uh, that's all media gets paid to do is piss you off no matter what and, e- either side so of it either side of it pol- politicians too well, yeah. Uh, Al Sharpton, Ted Cruz, Maxine Waters, Kevin McCarthy, they don't particularly care whether you're happy or whether there's justice. They just want the verdict to come out in a way that they can get your money to fundraise off of it. Definitely. And, 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 to say. and some people like chaos. Mm-hmm. Some people get off on chaos. And I just hope that people let's let's say the case or the, the, the verdict comes out against what you want the verdict to come out to, then do better. Don't burn things down. Unless be pissed if you want to be pissed. You know, punch a hole in your wall if you want, but punch a hole in your wall. Exactly. <laughs> also, be pissed, but do something about it, right? Oh, yeah. Because if I had a store, if I had a store and, and, and someone was coming, let's say whoever. The clan was coming because they were mad. You're not getting in my store. I'm sorry. I can't allow you to do that. I can't allow you to do that. So I'm going to defend my store. Here, here's what I'm thinking, though, right? We, we get so angry about these things, and, and we look for blame, and we cast it all over the place. And when looking for solutions, I think too often the answer is, well, let's stick to the street because our voices aren't being heard. Here's the problem, though. We've stopped recognizing where actual change happens. Mm. Change happens if you join, like, your local school board, if you join if you join uh, certain unions, some communities, grassroots organizations. You're put, you put your money in places where you know where it's actually going. Because we can't be giving it to organizations who claim that they want to help you or me, and 90% of it ends up for them going to a mansion in a gated community right. where they don't even have to worry about police shooting them because they got private security. Right. 
Definitely. No, it needs to be going into actual reform. And whether that means identifying, you know, young candidates who actually care about these kinds of things and want to be changed, mm-hmm. want to change. You know, how about your young African-American student activist who is who is running his uh, his college club looking for actionable change? How about we give our money to him rather than the person who's on TV preaching, let's burn it all down if we don't get our way? No, identify the smart, ambitious people in your community, the people who have your best interest at heart and give it to them because if you walk through the streets the change is happening behind those doors that aren't closed right that are open to ideas and actual discussion not the places where i need to do nine different google searches to see oh this is just ends up going back to like the coca-cola foundation or bill gates right it's all it's it's all, all uh, it's all pretty twisted, and it's ironic because I literally just finished watching uh, the People versus OJ Simpson, <laughs> and uh, it's like everything old is new again, right? Definitely, like, all this has happened, all this has happened before, and frankly, unfortunately, I'm not sure we've learned much. I don't think we've learned much. I think we learned that uh, OJ is amazing on Twitter, though. But besides that. <laughs> Besides that, troubles me that we've let him become a meme because he absolutely murdered two people. It's very entertaining. Allegedly, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, civilly he murdered two people. Right, definitely, definitely. I, I, yeah, and and like I said before, I don't know if he actually did the actual (laughs) event, but we should do this podcast. We should do an OJ Simpson podcast. I, we, could have, we could have a fun time. Yeah, because I, I, I think that there was something involved with Orenthal. Something. <laughs> yeah. Well, well once, once again, right, we have taken the actions of some pretty terrible police officers. Right. Uh, Mark Furman. Right. Uh, Mark Furman. Those, those monsters who beat up Rodney King. Mm-hmm. And we have, once again, instead of being like, what can we actually do to change this? We instead said... Well, these people are are monsters and it's never going to change. So all I can do is just, you know, throw a brick at them. It's like, no, throw your money at them, throw your vote at them. Right. Give them the hell out of power. Right. Because they're not going to move unless you make a move. Unless you make them move. That's why I think these these children, this next generation, they're going to be the ones that lead us to greatness um, because they've seen their parents complain. They've seen everyone complain. And I just feel like that is... Just all we can hope for. Just hope for the best, Sean. And I, I hope so. I'm, I, I, I like to be optimistic that we are learning lessons from this because I think unequivocally the world is a better place than it was right. 10 years ago, 20 right. years ago. Right. Uh, but there are compelling signs that if we don't do anything to keep us on that right path, that we're going to backslide. And that if we keep assuming everybody has the worst possible intentions – we're just going to burn something down that doesn't need to be burned down. You know, it just needs to be reinforced and not rebuilt. Like, uh, so it's, uh, let, let's be optimists about this because what, what the hell is the point about of being negative about it? It's not going to get us anywhere at all. Be miserable about it. I'm, I'm pretty miserable all the time anyway. Right. Know? I don't, I don't need any additional help. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can watch the news. Right. And just hit it on play and I'll be depressed. Yeah. Hey, Sean, I think we're good here. I, I appreciate this conversation, man. We we did uh, good and we talked uh, about some excellent um, topics. I'm looking forward to seeing how this next week plays out because our, we'll be right back on this podcast talking about things and, and, and everything that goes along with it. Sterling Brown, sit down.
Go get a mojito. And, and call it a day. Beautiful places in Miami. Go get a nice view over the beach and just look out at the world that you were able to to enjoy the beautiful Miami sun. Definitely. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a charmed existence once you realize the good things that come from life and stop focusing on the bad ones. Definitely, definitely. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for hanging out with me today, man. We're going to have to do this real soon. We won't take a, a long hiatus like we did last time, you guys. Absolutely. We're, we're getting down to the nitty gritty. Uh, these these play-ins are going to become clear. Yes. Hopefully the injury picture becomes uh, less ruthless and we'll get some good basketball out of it. Thanks again, Sean. Absolutely. You I'll take ta- care, man. I'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Thanks again, Sean, for coming in, sharing your wisdom. You know, people, sometimes Sean and I um, have difference of opinions and sometimes we think alike. Uh, there are certain things that that we can agree on and there are certain things that we can agree to disagree on. And that's how life should be. Um, we come from two different backgrounds and we share both of our stories. The, the, the great thing about it is we have respect for each other and we appreciate each other. And there are certain things that he brings to to my eyes that I haven't seen before. And there are certain things that I bring to his eyes that he hasn't seen before. And that's the way life should be. So let's continue to love each other, y'all. Let's continue to be smarter about this. Let's continue to to learn what we don't learn or what we don't know and stop being um, ignorant. Um, And to lead us on out of here, we're going to listen to a little Tupac.
heads, but they're blowing in the wind. Last night, my body lost its whole family. It's gonna take the man in me to conquer this insanity. It seems the rain will never let up. I try to keep my head up and still keep from getting wet up. You know what's funny? When it rains, it pours. They got money for wars, but can't feed the poor. Said it ain't no hope for the youth, and the truth is, it ain't no hope for the future. And then they wonder why we crazy. I blame my mother for turning my brother into a black baby. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit